We're excited for what God has been doing in this series we call Common Ground. The common ground is that uh, what we are covering in this sense of ministry, there's a lot of ground that's tough ground to cover, but there's a commonness that how would Jesus respond in all these situations? And so sometimes it can be challenging that Christ would resp- help us in that way. And so I'm, gonna, um, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to stop for just a moment and I'm going to ask our technologically smarter people than I am. There we go. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be dealing with politics, culture, and kingdom, and it's sort of in that order. And so I don't know if you've heard, but these two people are running for president, and it has been one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life to hear them debate and all the, the wonderful things that we hear about them. It's so positive. It's so affirming. I'm glad that our children are getting to learn about politics because of the story. Okay, I can't say any more. I'm lying. Um, we, are, we are in this season where it's really tough and it's anguish. It's, it's anxiety-based. It's concerning. And uh, I watched a uh, videotape of Andy Stanley, who is one of the outstanding preachers today in churches, one of these mega, mega churches in the Atlanta, Georgia area and multiple campuses and so forth. And uh, he preaches to a big group of, uh, of uh, young people and young families in his churches. And uh, he was getting on them for all of their anxiety and their frustration, the bickering and the and the kind of back-and-forth divisiveness that this election is creating. And he says, you must stop doing this. And he says, I want to give you one reason to stop doing that. And he says, you're scaring the children. And so I don't want us to scare the children if you're into this. I am probably one of the ten people in Orange County that actually reads the newspaper. So I love to read, I love to watch, and I love to learn about uh, some of the politics and stuff like this. Joy will leave the room when I turn it on. But uh, it's, it's very engaging. It gets my pulse going. It raises my blood pressure because I have low blood pressure. It really helps. And so we've got these people that are bickering back and forth. And all we want, if this is, I don't know if this is cheesy or not, but all we want is for them to come together, be BFF. Wouldn't that be a wonderful and sweet thing that if they could just reach that harmonious point? But we know that there's a lot of things that are going to divide us in this election. And uh, I am here to give you one of the great verses that speaks to it today. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the great letter that he wrote to the Galatians in 3. He says, For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor freeman. There is neither male nor female. And there is neither Republican or Democrat. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The prophetic word that, that uh, Paul had when he wrote that, that he knew that today you and I would need that verse, it's just outstanding. Isn't it just outstanding that he prophetically, the Holy Spirit wouldn't? Obviously, I'm joking, but I want to let you know this this morning we're not talking about Republicans, we're not talking about Democrats, we're not talking about the Donald, and we're not talking about Hillary. I want us to be people who understand the common ground of this story. The very first message we gave on this common ground, I spoke on John 4, where Jesus encountered a woman known as the Samaritan woman. She had a very immoral lifestyle. Jesus engaged with her in meaningful ways that those religious people around him were somewhat critical of. 
that it was inappropriate for a man and a woman, for a rabbi and this immoral woman, for a Jew and a Samaritan. There were so many reasons for him to not engage with her, but he crossed all those lines. And what I love about Christ is that he puts aside a lot of the political correctness of the community so that he can penetrate on a person's heart. So I'd like to talk about the heart of God, the heart of Christ, and our hearts as we go through this election process. And these are the things that God, I think, would want us to know. Because there's a lot of divisiveness. I've, I've heard of families being torn apart by this election, by who they support or don't support. Bernie or the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, the Republican Democrat. It's craziness. Because here's what God would want all of us to know. No matter what your persuasion or conviction may be, no matter who you vote for on November the 8th, this is what God wants us to know. First of all, He wants us to know something that we all probably know. That He's a sovereign God and He's in control. It doesn't matter who's the head of California or who's the head of the America that we know today as the United States. It is God's control. And let me give you proof that God is doing something even when it seems like he's not. Isaiah, and I have 48, it's supposed to be chapter 44, but Isaiah 44, 28 through 45, 1, and I believe it may be correct on the outline that you have available for you here this morning. But here's what God says. Now, you give me a background. Isaiah wrote Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet, in 700 B.C., roughly. And in 700 B.C., he writes about a man that is yet to be born, yet to be named. He writes about a powerful country that is yet to rise to power. Because God says, Isaiah, I want you to write down something very specific so that when people in 2016 on October the 30th at Calvary Church wonder whether I'm a God who's in charge, I want them to see that I occasionally show up in surprising ways. So Isaiah writes down this about a man by the name of Cyrus who is the king of Persia. Persia's not in power. Cyrus is yet to be born. Cyrus lives about 500 B.C., 535, 45, 50 B.C. That's sort of his reigning power over the kingdom of Persia that takes over Babylon that destroyed Judah and Jerusalem. So Isaiah's way before that, 700 B.C. None of that's occurred. Here's what God said to Isaiah to write. It is I who says of Cyrus a man that won't be born for over a hundred years. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. God says to pastors, you are my shepherd. God says about Jesus, you are the good shepherd. But he says about this pagan king, you are my shepherd, which is astounding. And he says, he will perform all my desire. Because God says, I'm going to work through Cyrus in ways that my desires are satisfied. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Well, Isaiah will be saying, and said, wait a second. It is built. It is there. It's not been destroyed. But God knows that in 586 B.C., 120 or so, or a little bit less years after Isaiah writes this, he knows Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar does that. Well, Isaiah says, I want you to know that there will be a day when I will return and I'll do a little flip or flop and I'll have you a new home. 
And so he is predicting this. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Who did God call anointed? King David? A fellow by the name of Jesus Christ? He's anointed him. He looks at Cyrus, a pagan king, who has no regard for the God that we worship, the God, Jehovah God, has no regard for him. And God says about Cyrus, over a hundred years before he's even born, to repeat, he says, you are my anointed one. Whom have I taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him? You see, Cyrus, I need for you to come along someday... And nobody knows about you. But I need for you to come and subdue a nation. Who's that nation? It's the nation of, that we call Babylon, where King Nebuchadnezzar ruled, that took over Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So God is saying, I've got my controlling power at work in the nations of this world, and I want you to see it. So he says, I am the Lord. There is no other beside me. There is no God. I gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising of the setting of the sun, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Don't look for anybody else. Don't look for any other power. I alone am it. The one forming light, creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I'm in charge. Good or bad, I'm in charge. I am the Lord who does all these. So Isaiah writes in 700 B.C. about a man yet to be born over 100 years later, about a power named Persia that has yet to rise up to power, to take care of things that have yet to occur in Judah and Jerusalem. Because God says, all I want you to know is, I'm in charge. I am sovereign. And what more do you need but this, when I look at the elections of whoever is running for city council, to governor, to senate, to the legislature, to the House of Representatives, to the President of the United States, God says, I'm in charge. Don't look anywhere else but me. I am a sovereign God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are some political leaders that have a problem with pride. Have you ever known any political leaders to have sort of a pride problem? There are pastors that have pride problems as well. So I know it can be shocking because we believe our public servants are there for the goodwill of the citizens. But occasionally a little proud person sneaks in. Not occasionally. I say it all this with a cynical tongue-in-cheek. Pride is a major problem, whether a pastor or political leaders. And you know what God does? He watches them. There was a fellow, as I mentioned, about, by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of a country that we know of as Babylon. Sometimes they're referred to as the Chaldeans in the Old Testament. They rule over an area that we today know as Iran and Iraq, that region of the world. So King Nebuchadnezzar gets a head full of pride so he goes up to Jerusalem from Babylon in 605 B.C., and he starts attacking the Jews in Jerusalem. He wants to take over the city. So he takes back a group of people with him to Babylon to be people who will be his servants. Some of those people included Daniel. 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their names then became known in the Babylonian world. And then he brought back another group a little bit later in 586 B.C., and he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down the, the temple. He made it a shambles. And he brought back tens of thousands of Jewish people back to his land. And when those tens of thousands of Jewish people were living in Babylon as foreigners to this land, King Nebuchadnezzar looked out there and says, Man, I'm a pretty big stuff. I'm really something. I'm a big deal. And God says, Nebuchadnezzar, I want to let you know who's a big deal. So God takes King Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't know the story, and he turns him into sort of a werewolf. He has long hair, his fingernails grow out, and he wanders around the wilderness like a crazed man. God humbles him. He destroys him. And finally, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses, and here's what Daniel 4 says about this. At the end of that period, this craziness that God gave to him to humble him, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most pagan king ever in that time, the most powerful man ruling over Babylon, destroying and killing Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem and Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar says, I raise my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. Because it's insane to go against God. It's insanity. And I bless the Most High. That's the name we sing and praise. It's the book the name of God from the Psalms of God Most High. And praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. There are moments in time where God comes and He sees a proud, political, powerful person. And He brings His power on them to humble them, to break them, to lower them. So that everybody can know that He's still God. Now He doesn't do it with all of them. You know, if God was still doing to King Nebuchadnezzar... To the political leaders of today, there would be a whole bunch of crazy people running around with a lot of hairy arms and long fingernails. And there would be a lot of pastors doing the same thing. So I'm not exempting my profession. But I want to make the point, and it's simply this, that God is a sovereign God and that God is in control. He gave us Isaiah 44 and 45 to make the point. He gave us King Nebuchadnezzar to make the point that never doubt that I'm in charge. I alone am God. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, I assume that for all of us, may not be true for all of us, but I hope it's, we turn to one God who wants to be in charge of us, especially in this election cycle. So therefore, we should respond. We should respond in our heart and our actions the way Jesus would. So Jesus gives us the Old Testament. Why do we have the Old Testament? Because it's a bunch of stories. And they are stories that help us to understand how God works and how he wants us to live. So he takes this story, this little guy by the name of Daniel, and makes him an exile. It's the kind of thing that Peter talks about here in 1 Peter 2. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. We hear a lot about illegal aliens or undocumented workers. You know what God says? You want to know who the real aliens are? It's people who follow Jesus. We're the aliens. 
We're the strangers. He says, I want to say to you who are aliens because we're citizens of a kingdom that is from heaven, that rules over by God and Jesus Christ. And that although we may be citizens of America, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate allegiance. And everything runs through that first. So I am an alien, as are you if you're a follower of Jesus. You're a stranger as I am a stranger. So he says to us, aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have a righteous and holy duty to walk faithfully before God in holiness. Not in lust and pride, not in some of the sexual immorality that is prevalent, not in the relaxed standards of conduct that is holy, that should be holy. As an alien, I want to live this holy life. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So as I live out my time during this election cycle and beyond, I want people to look at me and see behavior that is excellent. It's not perfect, but they could say, man, I'm impressed of how you live your life so faithfully. I don't agree with you, but I'm impressed and respect the walk that you have. So the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they will slander us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a proponent of the Scriptures, you believe what is in the Bible, you've not changed your convictions because of the mood of the culture around us, and you remain steadfast to the definitions of things like life and marriage, you will be slandered as an evildoer. It was true 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote this. It's no different today. It happened to them. It'll happen to us. That's the normal thing because we're aliens and strangers. Just keep your behavior excellent. So as they see you and slander you for your convictions that because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Take your deeds that you do and make them good. Make them excellent. Make them a powerful testimony of who it is that follows Jesus Christ. And bring them to Jesus. Don't bring them to Christianity. Bring them to Jesus. And bring them to people who are true followers of Jesus so they can make a difference. So in this election cycle, I need to be like that. Therefore, that's how Daniel did it. When Daniel was taken and kidnapped and abused, he stood in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar as a young guy, along with all of his young friends. They were literally stolen out of their homes. Moms and dads lost their children, much like some of the terrible terrorists will go in the Middle East and rip away children from their parents. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. It was horrendous. So he brings Daniel and his friends, they bring back, and he begins serving the king Nebuchadnezzar in his court. He was faith-filled. He was obedient to God regardless of those circumstances. God calls you and me to the same thing. Here's what Daniel wrote. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission and from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. God blessed Daniel because you remained obedient to me. When you and I are in the public setting, whether it's a high school or a college, where it's a place of business and you're making coffee at Starbucks, L.A. Fitness, you're in an elementary school as a teacher, 
you're a business person who is working in the community, you have an obligation to remain obedient to what God says so that God can bless you with favor. It doesn't always work out where we get everything we want. Daniel would have loved to have been back with mom and dad in Jerusalem. But there God blessed him because of his faithful obedience to what God had said to do. In this election cycle, in this political season, in this hyper, hyper exaggerated craziness, you and I have an opportunity to be outstanding in our walk before Jesus, to draw attention to him. Because Daniel became involved. He became engaged. He didn't worry about the opposition. He got engaged. He went into this arena and said, I'm not going to hunker down. I'm not going to withdraw. I'm going to get engaged in this process and be used by my mighty God. I trust him. He's a sovereign God. I trust him. So I'm going to get engaged. This is what happened in Daniel 1. Then the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are their Jewish names or the Hebrew names, and so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king, over 60 years, 66 years he did this. This is the Cyrus the king that Isaiah wrote about 150 years before. So for 66 years, Daniel is faithful, engaged in the process, and I encourage us who are followers of Jesus, get engaged, be involved. When King Nebuchadnezzar was confused and didn't know what to do because of the things that were happening in his life, who does he go to? He goes to his magicians, he goes to his conjurers, he goes to these crazy people who are believing in this evil, demonic world, but then he also has Daniel. He goes to Daniel, and Daniel becomes a light and a witness with wisdom from God. Wouldn't it be fantastic if all of our folks, if, if you're in high school, you're in college, you're in a place of business, but you begin to volunteer and you become involved in settings where you have an opportunity to be a voice of God, to be a life of Christ, to be an expression of His truth that like King Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, wow, there's something different there. You know, I've spoken about Biola. I work over at Biola um, where it seems like I'm working more there than here, but I try to balance things. But nevertheless, that's a whole other, forget that. One of the things that Biola has gone through, as have other Christian universities, is this AB 1146 that we talked about some time ago, where there's these powers in Sacramento that want to come and take away a lot of the religious freedoms and the financial aid that could have come to the school because they didn't have appropriate bathrooms and stands on transgender and things like that. Well, that law was backed down, so that's no longer an issue for Biola. But one of the things that came out of that is this. There are people in politics up in Sacramento, and there are really atheist professors that come on Biola's campus to have special forums to teach. One of the things that we discovered is that when these, for example, atheist professors come on the campus and begin to teach the students at Biola, they are blown away by how brilliant and smart and bright and with integrity these students live their lives. And what we hear from the folks that were in the political arena of this 1146 and we hear from these atheist professors is this. 
We didn't know who Biola was. We always thought Biola was just a bunch of right-wing fundamentalist bigots who were ignorant and didn't want to hear the truth. And now from the political man who was behind 1146, the very man who was behind 1146, meets with Barry Corey, president of Biola, and these atheist professors that come on the campus to a man or a woman who comes, they are saying, once we got to know who the Biola students are and the faculty are and the president is, our view of you has changed. You're not who we thought you were. You're better. You're smarter. You're brighter. You're more engaged. You're more open than we thought. And this is what Daniel is experiencing. King Nebuchadnezzar, I stole you guys away to do my menial jobs. And Daniel, I'm finding out you're the brightest of all my people. I'm amazed by you. I'm thrilled that you're part of my team. Daniel didn't run and hide. You and I, when you have an opportunity, volunteer. Get engaged. Change the hearts and minds with your love and your grace and the wisdom that God gives you. Let people know that we as believers and followers of Jesus, we have much that we can contribute. Be engaged. Then finally, (coughs) excuse me, be hopeful because there's a good outcome that's going to come. I love this verse in Jeremiah. To the Jewish people who were stolen in exile from Jerusalem. says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are the people that were literally stolen from their houses, children ripped away from their parents, abused and beaten and killed and martyred, but some of them allowed to live in the land of Babylon as exiles. Build houses, live in them, Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. That's astounding to me when I read that. That's one of those verses that sort of sneaks by and you don't really know about it until you begin to do a little homework. You say, wait a second, am I reading this right? These are the exiles that have been literally ripped from their home and they could be cursing God for the terrible suffering that they're having to go through. And God says, no, I have you in Babylon for a purpose. I want you to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. I want you to seek the welfare of your Babylonian neighbors. I have you there for a purpose. You are my people. I've not overlooked or forgotten about you. And for you and me, when we disagree with political powers, we disagree with those that rule over us, we disagree with some of the ideology we hear, we disagree with a lot of things in our lives, God says the same thing. Seek the welfare of the city. I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. Pray for the city. Pray for the leaders. Pray for Donald Trump. Pray for Hillary Clinton. When's the last time you prayed for those two people? You think they need Jesus? Oh, yeah, they need Jesus, just like I need Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for the welfare that you have welfare. That's such a positive thing. And then he says, so here's how you pray. You prayerfully seek God's will according to his word. Here's what Daniel did. He began to take the scroll that he had in those days 
He didn't have bound Bibles like this, nicely leathered on the outside. But he had a scroll, and it was written by Jeremiah, one of the great Old Testament prophets. And Jeremiah wrote to the Jewish people, as I just read, who were in exile. And here's when Daniel 9, Daniel began to pray. So in the first year of Darius, who might have been Cyrus by another name or might have been a, uh, a young person who was ruling over Babylon by Cyrus's power, the son of Asaras of Median's descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, who were the Babylonians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed the books, the number of years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Jeremiah, he's reading Jeremiah and says, man, Jeremiah, wait a second. Wait, wait, let me do the math. I was taken in 605 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar. I have lived through the 66 years of foreign powers that have come in from the Babylonians to the Persians. And I'm beginning to read something that has piqued my interest. If I didn't read the book, I wouldn't have known this to be true. But here's what it goes on. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. I began to pray. What did He read? Here's what He read in Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, 605 B.C., exile, seek the welfare of the city while you're there, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. What place? Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. We use that verse a lot. A lot of people use that verse for us. It's really for the Jewish people to get from Babylon back to Jerusalem. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's still true today. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place where I sent you in exile. So Daniel's reading that, and he begins to do his math. I was taken a 605 B.C. Let's see. Seventy years is coming up. I've been here for 66 years. I see the 70th year coming up. Oh, my God. And he means that respectfully. You're about to send us back to Jerusalem. I wouldn't have known it, but I read the book. And the book revealed that you're a God who's sovereign in control. And for 70 years, you said I would be here, and the 70 years are almost up. And so he gets on his knees, and he prays in Daniel 9, and he fasts, and he confesses his sins, that God, please complete the process. And then Daniel serves under King Cyrus that God uses from the very beginning of the message. King Cyrus Persia comes into Babylon, and then Cyrus says, Okay, Daniel, you and your Jewish family, go on back to Jerusalem. And then through Jeremiah, and then through Cyrus, and then through Nehemiah, the Persian power actually funds the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. It's incredible. Well, Daniel prayed, but he prayed specifically according to God's word that this, in his word, would happen. We need to pray the same way. I'm going to encourage you to do it in just a moment. Now, let me just transition. we got folks that are already doing a lot of what I just talked about. I'm going to invite Carolyn Cavecci to come on up here. Carolyn has been a wonderful servant, a public servant, if you will. Let's welcome Carolyn as she works her way up here. <laughs> Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. We appreciate you. and. You, uh, at one point, served as the mayor of yes. Orange. 
And so we thank you for taking on that assignment and being sort of God's servant there. Thank you. Tell us, how, how did you get involved to actually become the mayor of Orange? What was that trigger? Well, it wasn't anything that um, I purposefully intended to do. It wasn't anything that I um, sought out to do. I was a stay-at-home mom, um, very active here, actually, at Calvary in the Mops program. And I had a, a three-year-old daughter, and uh, our second little guy was in a stroller. And I happened to just um, go into a, a neighborhood store and noticed, um, actually, my three-year-old daughter noticed a lot of, um, of the adult magazines displayed. And I turned around and saw my daughter perusing the covers and um, broke my heart. So I made a call to City Hall, my first call, and next thing I know I was sitting in the room with the mayor at the time and a vice cop and uh, an assistant city attorney, and I helped write an ordinance to restrict the display of that. And that um, really kind of opened up the journey that the Kvetchis, um really are still on, but yeah. continued on for many years. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? You know, you take a positive step and... You could write letters to the editor, you can complain, you can send anonymous emails, but you constructively got involved to help make a difference. It's important. Yeah, very important, very important. That's what Daniel did, so we, we love that. Uh, here, a lot of us here have never run for anything in political office. I know that because you became mayor and because you served, you got a lot of nasty stuff. I'll get a few nasty things, but it's nothing like what I'm sure you had to deal you with. You know, um, so. my husband and I laughingly call politics. It's a full contact sport without pads. <laughs> and uh, um, and, and you, uh, yeah. it's what you just have to deal with. Well, thank you for persevering in that. What would you want to say to us as we look at this election coming up and we look at the political climate? And our response to that, how can we, as followers of Jesus, respond in appropriate ways? Not an easy topic, although I think this message has been right on um, completely. You know, and I can say, and I'm still um, very much involved. I run a, um, a countywide nonprofit now that has a political action committee um, component to it. And, and what I can say is, I think as much as, as we, as a body of believers, um, have been in turmoil and saddened, um, by watching it. Um, it. It's even the same in the political world. I can tell you that uh, we are all just as shocked about what's going on. But what's really been, I think, um, heartbreaking for me is that I sit in these rooms and I sit in these meetings and there has been a lot of glee from um, the political world hmm. at how the body of believers have um, you know, sometimes responded to this election and their hope for how we will continue to be in turmoil going forward. And, and I say that not because we're not maybe uniting behind one candidate, because that's not the point. I think the point is, is how we've responded to each other in this crisis. And mm. I think that as, um, as a body of believers, we have an incredible opportunity. I think if anything, this election has shown that there are a lot of very hurting people out there, no matter mm -hmm. what political persuasion they mm -hmm. are. There is a world that really truly needs Christ. And I think we have an opportunity mm -hmm. after next week, who's ever president. Um, and God knows who that is. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, that we should step up as, as believers in this world and, um, and change from the ground up. Not so much leadership, but change on the ground. And I yeah. think that's an opportunity we have. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's important for us. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that we can do, you know, Daniel could have just sat back, well, God, you're in charge. I'll just sit back and do nothing. But he got involved. That's like Carolyn got involved. One of the things that we need to do, and I just want to encourage you, is to vote coming up on November the 8th. Vote. 
Here's a little video that helps us to be encouraged to do just that. Every day begins with choices. From the moment we wake up, our day consists of endless opportunities to choose. Our choices are driven by our values, our dreams, and our faith. Sometimes we stand out for our choices. Other times we may not see how our choices affect those around us. Some choices are easy. Others require more serious thought and prayer. On November 8th, Americans have an important choice to make. A choice that will shape our nation for years to come. Join 90 million Christians as we cast our votes based on our faith, our hopes, and our prayers for America. Make the pledge to vote from a biblical worldview. Because what we believe matters. What we believe matters. I'd like for us to spend a few moments in prayer. And on the outline that I have, I've put some of the topics that we've covered over the last couple of months. God speaks to these issues. God is a pro-life God. Whether the baby's in the womb, out of the womb, disabled, elderly, whatever the case may be, we pray to that end. God loves the idea of marriage that we heard last week from Sean McDowell. Like two godly people, husbands and wife, man and woman, come together and love each other like crazy. God loves that. And there are other things here. We ask you to pray for these things, to vote consistent with these things, regardless of the person and the personality. Vote for those things that we believe would help promote that. Daniel prayed according to God's Word, and the Jewish people were sent back to Jerusalem. It was an answer to Daniel's prayer, according to God's Word. Let's us pray according to God's Word that He would help us. So I'm going to invite you to spend a few moments in prayer. Take that list. Pray for the election. Pray for Donald Trump. Pray for... Pray for Hillary Clinton. And if you know some of the local uh, folks that are in the politics arena, pray for them as well. And pray that God reveal your sovereign control. I'm going to invite those of you who can kneel. Would you just kneel and just, let's just humbly go before God and allow Him to hear. You will seek me and you will find me when you search with all your heart. He said that in the context of setting God's people free according to God's Word. So let's pray to that same way like Daniel did. So we're going to have a few moments of quietness as you get on your knees or stay in your seat, but pray, and I'll come back and close this.
Our Father God, I pray you hear our prayers as we seek you with all of our heart. As Jeremiah said, as Daniel read, God, that was, that was 2,500 years ago. And it feels like we're still in that same swirl of confusion and disruption and division and in a world that seems contrary to you and your word and your holiness. But help us to be the people, as aliens and strangers as we are, God, that has behavior that is excellent, and that those of the world who see our behavior will see the good deeds and the good hearts and the love and the kindness that causes them to glorify your name on the day of visitation, as Peter said. God, it's no different today than in those days as Peter wrote those words. Father, help us in this election. I pray, God, that you would reveal your powerful presence upon Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, who are the headlines of every day, it seems. God, reveal your power to them as you did the kings of the Old Testament, that they, too, would come in humility to recognize you as the one and only God. Help this election. Help us to be people who are diligent to respond in appropriate ways. God, may we honor you with our attitudes, with our actions, that people would see the person of Christ in all we do and say. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to respond in worship. We have the various tables around the room. If you'd like to continue to pray, we have the prayer points. But the bread and the cup, they symbolize the body of Jesus, that tremendous sacrifice of his death, burial, and resurrection, and the body and the blood becomes that redemptive work for us. These symbolize that it's true for me. The offering buckets are there for your giving as well as we come and worship together. So let's go before the Lord and worship and praise.